Yeah, no, huzzah is one of those words that will just be ruined now. It can only be there said no in Nicholas Holt's voice. There's no gif of there, it? There is no giffy gif of Nicholas Holt saying huzzah. There's one of um, Elle Fanning. Elle Fanning saying it, but not Nicholas Holt. What? That's wild. He says it like 12 times in an episode. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let me see. <laughs> You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen movies and rom-coms. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, former YA librarian and young adult literature enthusiast, and I am joined today, as always, by my co-host... Uh, Marin Hangman, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast... Uh, and I say former because uh, it is... N not really suitable for me to continue uh, bearing the mantle of young adult librarian because I got a new job. Ooh. That's very exciting. Um, I will be uh, moving up the ranks uh, to being a teen and adult services manager, um, which when I say it out loud is very scary. <laughs> um, but also awesome. But also pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it just goes to show every once in a while, even though 2020 is a total trash fire, every once in a while we've been getting a consolation prize here and there. Like, and Nic like Nicole Quiff coming back onto Twitter. Although I would say this is a bigger consolation prize. Yay. Nicole Cliff coming back to Twitter is very good, though. Um, do you follow her on Instagram? I haven't. I periodically check in and see all her very sweet horse pictures. Her horse pictures are so good. They're so sweet. Um, but anyway, uh, we are going to be talking today about the 2013? 13? That sounds right. 13. 13. Uh, Sofia Coppola, based on a true story drama, The Bling Ring, um, but before we get into that, just want to do a quick check-in. Uh, what have you been, what is bringing you comfort in these are trying times these days, Marin? What have you been reading or watching uh, that is making you feel better? Anything? <laughs> yeah, so I did, I would highly recommend, um, not necessarily comforting in and of itself, but it has sparked my going back to very nostalgic Disney Renaissance films. Um, Disney Plus just released a documentary called Howard uh, that is about the life of Howard Ashman, um, who was a lyricist and producer um, responsible for The Little Mermaid, um, as well as the Broadway classic Little Shop of Horrors. Um, so it's been really, it was a really well done documentary. Um, and I think, um, you know, does a really beautiful job of, um, you know, chronicling Howard Ashman's life and, two, you know, how 
his position as a gay man, as someone who was HIV positive and died of AIDS complications, um, how kind of that outlook informed, um, you know, the making of these, these films and, um, yeah, it, it was just a really, you know, um, powerful piece and again in and of itself not comforting although interesting um but it did get me to rewatch the little mermaid um which was very comforting how about you one martha of my, one of my favorites um i am just i'm reading a lot of horror it's it's all horror all the time over here um there's something very comforting to me about reading horror where the good guys are confronted with something that is just straight up and down the bad guy and then they get to triumph over that. Um, it is it is hard for me to deal with our kind of apocalyptic, metaphysical evil that is just sort of permeating our world right now. So I have been enjoying narratives where the good guys defeat the bad guys, whether that bad guy is a ghost or a slasher dressed like a clown or some kind of evil cosmic entity. Um, yeah, just getting to read about about uh, good triumphing over evil has been very a big help for me these last couple of weeks or so. Yeah, it seems seems pretty uh, it seems pretty relevant <laughs> or at least you know, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. I just finished an advanced reader copy of a book called Clown in a Cornfield about a group of teens that are terrorized by uh, murderers that are all dressed as clowns. And mm. it was very gory. It was very like reminiscent of 80s slasher, uh, the 80s slasher film genre. And it had a deeply satisfying ending. And I think, you know, like... I think stories like that, it's always good to to turn to for that type of catharsis, like, because we're certainly not going to be getting that anytime soon. So I yes. feel like, even though I am not a fan of the horror genre myself, I, I appreciate that catharsis. Well, and even though I cannot kill my my enemies with, with knives or a sawed-off shotgun... I appreciate reading about people who can. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> well, even just like, and Pete and I were part of this mini trend of watching Contagion at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, yes, Pete and I, Pete and I talked about Contagion for a podcast episode of Did You Do Your Homework? Right at the <laughs> beginning of all of this. Oh, I we did an episode. On, I, we did an episode on quarantine media. I forgot that's what inspired us to watch it. Um, but it, we both were kind of shocked at how oddly comforting we found it. Just like... Because uh, they they solve it. They fix it. They fix it. And also, you know, there's a 20% death rate. Um, and so not that, you know, you always need a like, well, it could be worse. But... It was comforting to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. And that's that's not to diminish the suffering that COVID has has caused. 
Um, oh, of course not. But sometimes I think it, and I, I think it's probably similarly the appeal of horror, sometimes I think it helps to look the worst case scenario in the face. Absolutely. Okay, we are here to talk about the bling ring. Marin, would you like to give us our plot synopsis? Absolutely. So, The Bling Ring, directed by Sofia Coppola, um, also written by Sofia Coppola, and is based on a true story. Um, so, it centers around three teenagers um, in the Los Angeles area who, you know, enjoy partying and um wearing nice clothes and, you know, really idolize local celebrities. Um, and so, and the story is told in flashback um, after they have been caught for doing this, but we see the, the progression of them um, stealing into celebrities' homes. Um, so these three teens, Mark, Rebecca, and Nikki, um, and, and Rebecca is really kind of the ringleader. Um, she, um, is the one who, you know, is, is thinking to do this. Um, and Mark helps her research, um, to find out when celebrities are not home, um, and find their addresses. Um, and they start, um, doing these break-ins. Um, so they, you know, break into... Adriana Patrick's house. Um, they break into Megan Fox's house. They break into Paris Hilton's house multiple times. Um, and they, you know, steal clothes and jewelry. They just kind of hang out. Um, they break into Orlando Bloom and Miranda Carr's house, which let's talk about that, how that's a timepiece. Um, and eventually, uh, there was security footage at Adriana Patrick's house that comes out. Um, and so one of them, Mark, is concerned about it, but Rebecca thinks it's fine. Their faces were covered and still wants to keep um, burglarizing celebrities' homes. So she goes and um, breaks into Rachel Bilson's home and then Lindsay Lohan's home, which was kind of who is Rebecca's idol. Um, and then, you know, with the start of this CCTV footage from Adriana Patridge, um, they, the media and police start to put together this robbery pattern, um, and they get more and more footage that does identify um, Mark and Nikki and Rebecca. Um, and then they are caught, and the last few scenes are... Um, Rebecca runs away um, to her father in Las Vegas, um, and because Mark helped her leave um, with some of their stolen items, um, he is also charged for accessory uh, for theft across state lines. Um, but yeah, all of them, um, they kind of all turn on each other and try to get the least prison, uh, prison sentence possible. Um, and... Then at the end, um, we see that one of the characters, Nikki, has has used this time in jail and actually spent her time in jail next in the cell next door to Lindsay Lohan's, which again, timepiece, um, and uses that experience to kind of launch herself to um, what 
is presumably a pre, you know, influencer blog fame. Um, so these these events are like like well, I don't know how lightly dramatic dramatized, but are dramatized based off of a real group of teens who stole um, things from celebrities' homes. Um, so some, so I think, in fact, almost all of the actual burglaries described were accurate to what to what happened. Um, but yeah, so, and it's interesting, too, that it, you know, takes place in 2008, but it came out in 2013, um, and I think it, you know, it really does set itself in the world of 2008, so certainly the, the fashion and the music, um, reflected that. Um, I think the only major thread I'm missing is just Nikki's mother being involved with uh, the secret, which also felt very two thousand eight. <laughs> yes. Um. Um. So I neglected. I was planning to read uh, the article that the bling ring was based off of. Um. And I just did not have a chance to do so. Um. That was, it was based on a Vanity Fair article called The Suspects Wore Louboutins by Nancy, Nancy Jo Sales, um, which detailed the story of the Bling Ring teens um, and who they burglarized and what they took uh, and was kind of a, a critique of the relationship that teens have to, or not teens, but like the relationship that we as a culture have to fame and particularly to like reality TV stars and um, like the whole uh, culture of excess and um, glamour. Um, the I think that the events as Sofia Coppola portrays them in the movie are fairly true to life. Uh, she changes the names of the characters, and I think one of the real-life teens does not end up being a character in the movie, probably so that she can keep the cast down to, like, a manageable, recognizable-sized group. Um, but yeah, in terms of who they were robbing, how many times they did um, the... Uh, one who leaves for Las Vegas and that kind of ending up being the um, the point at which it all starts to fall apart um, I think is pretty true to life. It uh, looks like there were in real life seven of them. Um, so yeah, I think she excised a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did we think of this movie? I, hmm, I don't <laughs> know. I, honestly, I was just pretty bored throughout the whole thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It just, yeah, I, I was just like, oh, okay, all right. Um, I would say, too, I think part of why I had trouble getting into it, um, I think that I was supposed to empathize with or sympathize or at least be fascinated by the character of Rebecca more than I was. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it, I just, to me, I, I think on paper, her motivations for, you know, instigating this bling ring was supposed to be her obsession with fame, her desire to have all of the trappings of fame. Um, but that just didn't feel real enough to me or it wasn't fully articulated enough that I, I believe that she would be motivated to do such drastic things based on that. Um, yeah. So I just, Here's- I just didn't oh. find her sympathetic as a character. Sure. Here, I, I don't disagree with you. Here is what I think happened. Um, I think that Sofia Coppola, who's a very talented director, I think she has kind of a deadpan style to her films. And I think what happened with this is that what she was going for was sort of a a very like nihilistic kind of blasé point of view. Like, I think part of the point is that these teens are so just kind of disillusioned with like the ideas of value and property and like ownership, like those, those kind of ideas get so distorted when you live in this environment, when you're just like surrounded by celebrity and surrounded by money and surrounded by excess, that the whole concept of like, I shouldn't take this because it doesn't belong to me doesn't exist for them. Well, and I I think that, well, I think that what happened is that between trying to portray that sort of nihilism and then also just the deadpan way that these girls play their characters, it ended up falling kind of it 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 missed the mark on deadpan nihilism and just ended sort of falling flat. Yeah, and I think that we are supposed to see, um, I think that we are supposed to take in the fact that they are, you know, in the orbit of all of this money and celebrity, but they're not part of it. And I think we're supposed to see them wanting to go in and kind of taking something back, like an almost Robin Hood-esque, um... Or even just, like, an equalizing. Like, we kind of drift near this world, so why can't we get into it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, really had trouble sympathizing with that. Um, and I think you're onto something in terms of... It almost, in a way, wanted to be satire. Um... I have seen it referred to as satirical several times, and I don't think it gets there. No, it like um, it doesn't commit to that. Like there are a few moments, especially at the end with um, Emma Watson's character, um, where there's an almost first farcical, you know, element, um, but it doesn't commit, and it doesn't commit through the whole film. Yeah, I almost, so one of the characters, the boy whose name I don't remember off the top of my head. I think it's Mark. Yeah, the the guy who is um, friends with Rebecca. I think he is supposed to be kind of our point of view audience insert character. Like, he's, he's new to the school. He gets very, like, swept up in 
Rebecca's like with the he gets swept up with her like the the thrill I guess of stealing and breaking into the houses and I think he's the one that we're supposed to be like not sympathetic with but at least he's supposed to be our vision into understanding why they're doing what they're doing well and i think he he's so we see him be so enamored of the actual objects that they take that we we see that gratification he gets like there are all those scenes of him pulling his suitcase out from under his bed that's full of the things or or wearing the items they've stolen out um but i could have used that sense of wonder i guess from more than one character like i i wanted them to be more in love with the things that they were stealing i guess or a little bit more i wanted them to show some kind of emotion that wasn't jaded cynicism about the world enthusiasm i guess i was missing wow i think you just summed up my issue with every (laughs) sophia coppola movie ever that's exactly why lost in translation is one of my least favorite movies (laughs) lost in translation is a very beautiful movie that is also kind of bad i hate it so much it might be number two after 500 days of summer it's pretty high on Warren's least favorite <laughs> movie she's been forced to watch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as a, as a result, I did not feel like there was ever a point in this movie when I was on the side of the kids. No, never. I don't know. Well, but I also don't know if that was maybe the point. Like, I don't know if I don't know if Coppola wants us to be because it, it is a very like cool motive, still grand larceny kind of deal. <laughs> um, but because I didn't have, because I didn't under, like I, I understood why they were doing what they were doing, but I also was kind of like, you don't care about anything. Why are you doing? Why are you doing a bad thing? It meant I didn't like any of them, so I couldn't really get behind like like I didn't feel any sympathy for them I felt very I felt very cranky old man yells at cloud about this whole movie (laughs) like children stop breaking and entering stop stealing people's stuff what are you doing stop like and maybe I'm just too old for this movie (laughs) I mean it's a weird situation where really like your sympathies are with Paris Hilton like I was like Okay. Didn't see that one coming in my life that like Paris Hilton would be the you know the sympathetic so, one here. Yeah, so I think I I understand what Coppola was going for. Like I I get that this is supposed to be a send up and a critique of like fame culture and fame obsession and what are these kind of um unrealistic lifestyle expectations being set for kids like what does that mean um particularly when the teens have adjacent access to that without actually earning any of it and like Um, no discussion about how that would make them want it more yeah it felt i think what happened what ended up happening for me is that all of that felt like set dressing because i i didn't think that the movie committed to the substance of those ideas 
it was just like, here is an idea. And then didn't really follow through on exploring what that meant. And didn't give us the specificity it needed with each of the characters to make us believe that they wanted the products of their burglarizing enough to to make it seem like it would overcome their apathy. Like, yes. I think they tried to do that a little bit with um, Rebecca takes this, I think it's a bracelet from Lindsay Lohan's house. Um, and they do try to start, I think that the thing with Rebecca and Lindsay Lohan was supposed to be our stand-in for that. Um, and we have a moment where, you know, we really see her treasuring this bracelet she has taken from there. And it's supposed to be, you know, the understanding that she, she loves Lindsay Lohan so much. She looks up to Lindsay Lohan so much that, um, you know, having this bracelet that Lindsay once touched is really motivating her, but it needed all sorts of more moments like that with all the different characters to like give us the specificity of why each of them would be there. Well, and I also think that the part of the problem is that I think you can either have a movie that is about how these kids are in love with fame and want to be close to fame, in which case I need more about, yeah, how they are cherishing these things that they're stealing. Or I need it to be about how the idea of property doesn't mean anything to them and all of this is disposable, in which case I also needed more from that point of view. Like, I needed commitment to one idea or the other and i think the movie is writing too soft in between those things hmm. yeah that makes sense and i think too i think you know it going circling back around to the idea of apathy this really does make me think that you know sophia coppola must be a gen xer right I think so. Because then this also strikes me that it's a Gen Xer telling a millennial story. And I feel like there is that cultural, you know, disconnect between Gen X and millennial of, like, apathy versus not. And I think that the apathy from this, the apathy from this characters would have made a lot more sense to me if it took place in 1995 and was about Gen Xers. Uh, I actually think that that is a brilliant observation. Like and I, I think that that's, that's the source of my discontent with this story. Because if you told me that this was about a bunch of teens who were obsessed with these celebrities and part of why they were stealing these things was so that they could own a piece of them and showed me like their enthusiasm for these artifacts, that's a story that makes sense to me. But um, just the blaseness with which they are like, ah, yes, let's go break into Rachel Wilson's house. And I'm, I'm sure, yeah, I, mm, I wanted them to care more. <laughs> and maybe that's just because that is a story that I could have more sympathy with. But it also, because it is about a millennial group of people about a group of millennial privileged teenagers, I think that's the story. Right. It, like, I just don't believe that they would feel bored enough and, 
like, it's been too many years between this and Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like, come on. Like, I don't think that was a cult, a cultural moment like that in 2008. And I mean, or just even consider, okay, I, and I think I mentioned this to Pete, like, several times over the course of my watching. I kept pausing and being like, they played another song I don't know. Okay, here's the thing. I spent a not insignificant amount of the year 2008 in dance clubs. If any, if there was any year of my life that I was very cued in to or clued in to what popular music was, it was 2008 and 2009. And I only recognized one of those songs. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, the fact that she, like, didn't even bother to, like, play popular music of those moments... Um, well, I guess there was All the Lights, too. Yeah, like, Bad Girls and All the Lights were the only ones I was like, yeah, that, like, those seem like millennial songs. Like, the rest of the songs were, like, a little more obscure or a little, like, came, in fact, came out after 2008. Like, she just didn't hit that, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to build up to here is she, like, just didn't hit that cultural moment. Like, Mm-hmm. This is the time of Hannah Montana. Like, people are obsessed with celebrity culture. Like, let that be the motivation. But that's not, I'm bored in Calabasas. That, oh my God, I love Lindsay Lohan so much. It would mean so much to me to own a pair of her shoes. Like, that's what we need more of. Or, I love Lindsay Lohan so much that I want to be. I want to steal enough of her things so that I can think of myself as her, like, equal. Yeah. Or, like, maybe I will be at the same dance club as her one day and she'll say I look great because she won't know that I'm in her clothes. Like, or even, Or even she'll look at me and she'll recognize that I'm in her clothes and she'll be like, hey, that's mine. <laughs> um... No, I think I think you've cracked it. I think that I think the code here <laughs> is that it's a it's a quintessentially millennial story that's being told with a Gen X voice and that's what makes it feel disconnected to me. Yeah, cuz I I just and 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 thank you for earlier probably putting the finger on why I just cannot get into Sofia Coppola's films, but I think they are just rooted in, and I mean, no offense to Gen Xers, I mean, I, I understand the cultural, like, you know, I understand that grunge was very appealing in 1994, and like, you know, <laughs> that's what it was, but like, I feel like, you know, she really just does come at it with that, you know, caring isn't cool point of view. And I just don't think that the millennials in the story would do that. And I think, honestly, that's probably a lot of the problems I've had with her previous films. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I think that visually she does incredible work. I I think that um, this movie could very much be called a a case of all style, no substance. Oh, it looks great. Um, I also would like to talk for just a moment about Miss Emma Watson, who I think is a lovely human being who 
is incredibly smart and will no doubt go on to change the world in some fashion and absolutely should stop making movies. Oh, interesting. Do you just did you not buy her performance here or what? What about just, this film? Makes it, you say I mean, that? I it's I don't find her to be a very compelling actress just at all. And in this movie, watching her try to do that kind of affected, um, like, so her character is this kind of, like, you don't know if she's incredibly self-aware or not self-aware at all. (laughs) Um, You know, by the end, she's on talk shows promoting her website because she just made the wrong choices and hung out with the wrong people. And... It may have been on purpose for her to be so disingenuous, um, but it just felt like bad acting to me. Hmm. I, I think that I think that Emma Watson is an actress who is better when she has better actors to bounce off of. Like she's very good in Harry Potter. She's a very charming and lovely Hermione Granger. Um, what did you think of her in Little Women? I thought she was fine. I thought that she was the one that I cared the least about out of all four of those girls. Um, but I also couldn't tell if that was because of her or because she got the weakest material or both. Um, I mean, I always think Beth gets the short shrift of all those girls, but, um, Yeah, I mean, I think getting back to your point, what's interesting to me is, you know, she really is the only recognizable, you know, star in this movie. And I think that's purposeful. I think you can't have a bunch of known actors playing people burglarizing stars' homes because it suspends the disbelief of, but wait, they know that person. Um, Yeah, it... It made me wonder if her casting was part of how Sofia Coppola was able to make this movie. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure having the the name recognition of Emma Watson. But it's interesting because she really is the only one. I mean, uh, and Tynisa... Argument... Oh, sorry. Go for it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, if the movie had been made 10 years later, you could make the argument for Tysa Farmiga. I don't think you could make that in 2013. I mean, or even Leslie Mann. Like... I feel like Leslie Mann, well, I guess she probably popped after a 40-year-old version and knocked up, but it's a less recognizable person in 2013 than she is now. True. But yeah, and Tysa, I'm going to pronounce that wrong, Farmiga? Yeah, she's Vera Farmiga's little sister. Oh, I did know that, and they have like a very wide age gap. Yes. Um... Which, I mean, wow, that family. Like, some good acting props there. Right. Uh, um, yeah, because she, I mean, she really isn't popping until American Horror Story, which is, you know, after this. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, although I guess first season was before this. But was certainly but not she, a... Oh, I was going to say, she wasn't on that season. Totally was. <laughs> The first season I think of her in is Coven. Right, and I think I, Coven is really the first season of American Horror Story that, like, pops in general. Like, I feel like American Horror Story didn't really enter the cultural consciousness until Coven. Uh, I I 
don't know that I agree with that, but also we're not talking about it. Yeah, that's right. We can right we can sidestep the Ryan Murphy discourse. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Somewhere Ryan Murphy's going, no, <laughs> talk about me. I know, right? As he is everywhere at all times. Um, but I think, yeah, I think you're right that, like, now you certainly could not cast her now or Leslie Mann. They'd be too recognizable. Um, but I, I think that's purposeful. And I think part of, so sorry, circling back around to your actual point of is Emma Watson. I just don't you, think she's very good. I don't, yeah, I don't a, think that she's compelling to watch. I don't. She doesn't work for me. Yeah, and I think... I mean, I think this character... I mean, kind of going back to your earlier question about her as Megan Little Women, like, is it by... Like, are her characters kind of more stiff by design? Or is that part of her inability to to play emotiveness? And... You know, I think in, in this one, actually, her performance really worked for me um, because I could totally believe that her character was this vapid. Like, I just bought that. Um, but I I think certainly, and I mean, I think this just goes back to the general problem in this movie. Like, that character could have been imbued with, you know, more layers, more specificity, um, and I don't know if that's a choice of the writing or acting choices that Emma Watson made. Um, but I did, this performance worked for me in the sense of it was like, oh, okay, you are just, like, you care about going out to parties. That's it. That's your deal. Got it. Um, but I, I think some, some different acting choices could have made that character more well-rounded along with the writing, which we talked about earlier. Agree on all counts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think Leslie Mann is very good in this movie. Yes. Her, the secret, her stuff on the secret was just like, oh yes, I remember this. And her clothes too was like, oh my gosh, like I know exactly, like I can place exactly who you are based on like those kind of tie dye prints that you're wearing that were very popular in 2008. Like she reminded me very, very strongly of Amy Poehler's character in Mean Girls. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm the cool mom. Yes. We're gonna... What are we gonna learn in homeschool today? Oh, and just that scene where they're all... And they're doing vision boards. Oh, God. That that was, I think, probably my favorite scene in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was incredible. And just, like, their Ugg boots and... Oh. That was good. That was good. Um, which speaking of Ugg books, uh, excuse me, Ugg boots, I will say my favorite thing about this movie is actually the fashion. Um, I really did, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but I really did enjoy, like, how, you know, because even something set, this was set five years before it was made, and I, I do think that they really captured like, what that time looked like 
I agree. I wish that I just going back to what you were saying about the music, I wish they had done a better job in how it sounded because I think it was kind of a missed opportunity to like, like so much of this visually is very of a moment that I think they missed an opportunity to go hog wild on just the early 2010s. Um, and just kind of culturally where we were there all over the place. There were not enough pink razor phones. That's true. I had a razor phone. I, I had it more than I had it more than ten years ago though. And mine was mine was the black generic one. Sure. I I realized the other day I have had a smartphone for more than twice as long as I ever had a flip phone. And that I did not get of... I did not get my own phone until I left for college. Same. Um and that one was my Black Razor flip phone which would have been in 2005, I think. Okay. And then by 2009, I had a great, none of this matters. I had a, <laughs> I had a phone that felt like a Star Trek communicator. Like it wasn't a flip phone. The bottom popped down to pop out the keyboard and the screen was always, it was a little bit more smartphone adjacent. Sure. Um, oh, yeah, did you have, you had one with like the full keyboard flipping out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. But yeah, definitely learned how to tweet from my phone on the the number keypad that you had to like type every number three times to Aww. get to the letter that you were looking for. <laughs> I have had to recently. So the reason I have been thinking about how short a time period I used a flip phone um, is I now have to use one for work for our curbside pickup. Uh, and remembering how to use a flip phone has has been truly <laughs> a transport in time experience. Isn't it shocking how quickly we become accustomed to a certain level of technology? Yeah. And just like having to figure out how to use the call waiting and the like putting people on hold and like all the buttons and oh. It's like, oh my gosh, I have not done this for a long time. And I'm not used to this. I know, I did too. I'm like, (laughs) oh, this is no fun. Um, Yeah, which, getting back to you. So, okay, so I mean, I mean, obviously, like, my flip phone comment was meant flippantly. But, I mean, I think it gets at the, like, yeah, this movie doesn't really, like, sink its teeth into what was going on culturally. Um, I mean, just like I mentioned, like, the music is a little off. Um, the, yeah, there's not... I mean, I guess they do have a few scenes with digital cameras and posting to a a very early version of Facebook. Um, mm. But, yeah, it doesn't... It doesn't seem to have the fun that it could with that kind of... I mean, they, you know, go to Rachel Bilson's house without talking about the OC. 
they which is wild actually yeah like because that's how they that's how they would have known who she was right right like you think they would have been like oh my gosh it's summer we're gonna go to summer's house like blah 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 blah. like yeah like how else were they gonna know her was she already dating slash married to hayden christensen at the time like oh my god i forgot that that was a thing oh that was a thing Speaking of which, I uh, this did remind me of the Orlando Blue Miranda car thing. I was like, oh, yeah, that is very 2008. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> As I watched this the week he has a child with Katy Perry. Orlando Bloom? Oh, yeah, that happened. I, like, don't. I have I have whittled down the celebrities who I care about into just like <laughs> a very finely tuned group <laughs> who is in the group i don't know <laughs> <gasps> i maybe still cast my net too widely i don't know i have a like i think at this point i'm like i'm committed to pop culture gossip i have been since wikipedia was a thing so at this Fair. point, I'm, I'm committed. But that might not be a good thing. <laughs> well, and if it wasn't, if it wasn't late at night on a work day that I have, you know, just come back from, I could probably tell you the celebrities who I care about right now. I'm just, my brain doesn't have a whole lot of room for that at the moment. Fair. Which is not to, which is not casting judgment or aspersions on people for whom that is important. I mean, we are all coping with this time in different ways. True. Would you recommend our listeners watch this movie? Nah. I'm going to recommend that you spend your time watching the movie I'm going to recommend instead. Fair. Yeah, I think you can skip this one. I think it was probably more interesting and relevant when it came out. But at this point, just read the Vanity Fair article. You can find it. It's the first thing that pops up when you search the title. (laughs) Uh, What would you recommend that people watch instead? Uh, People should watch the... Is it 2018 or 2019? Um, 2019. People should watch the 2019 Hustlers instead. Yes! Um, Yes! With Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez. I literally... I think I finished that movie and I was like, well... That was a not as good version of Hustlers. Like, (laughs) um, Hustlers is about, um, it follows a group of strippers in New York City um, who, during the Great Recession, um, have to come up with new tactics to make money. Um, So it's kind of got the similar vibes of, you know, theft and 2008-ish. But I think actually, like, Gives its characters a, you know, full emotional arc. And they seem like actual people. And Jennifer Lopez is really great in it. And it's such a shame she did not get nominated for awards. Yeah. I watched I watched that movie on a plane. Oh, that's a great plane movie. It was. Although there were quite a few. It was uncut. So there were quite a few moments when I was like, Gosh, I hope that nobody's watching this over my shoulder right now. (laughs) There are just a lot of boobs happening. (laughs) Great movie, though. Great movie. 
I think, a much better exploration of a lot of these same ideas. Yes. Martha, what would you uh, recommend? So I have a book series to recommend. It is a young adult series by an author named Allie Carter, who is more famous, I think, probably for writing the... Nope. I was just about to give her credit for writing the selection books. She did not do that. That would be Kira Cass, and I apologize for that mix-up. Um... No, it's a series of books by Allie Carter called Heist Society about a group of teens that are all from wealthy families who are all also uh, thieves. And they do a bit of Robin Hooding, stealing from their parents sometimes, also just like <laughs> museums and stuff. Um, but yeah, they steal art. They Robin Hood it. It's great. It's all it's all like Ocean's Eleven, but with hot teenagers with too much time and money on their hands. <laughs> um, but those books, I think, get to that enthusiasm and appreciation for the things that they are stealing uh, much more effectively than Bling Ring does. Like, they, there is actual... Um, passion for the works of art and things that they that they break into museums to steal uh which i appreciated i think there's like five of them okay what are we watching next time um so next time we are going to watch uh the go ahead and call it a, a kind of instant Netflix classic. I feel like it has already earned a place in the cultural firmament in the short time it has been out. Um, uh, always Be My Maybe. Um, starring Ali Wong, Randall Park, and Keanu Reeves. Um, yeah. So yeah, we will be watching that next time. Did Ali Wong also write that? Let me check. I want to say that she did. That would that would not surprise me. Because I I feel like I have and we can save we can save this for next week, but I feel like I read an interview with her when someone was like, "So why like what was your inspiration for writing this movie?" and she said, "I want to make out with hot Asian men." <laughs> and I okay. was like, "Respect. <laughs> Respect, Ali Wong." Uh, yeah, so the screenplay was written by her, uh, Randall Park, um, and Michael Golamaco. So, oh, I Excellent. don't know, I don't know who that is, but, yeah. Yep, so that is next time on Love Ya. Until then, uh, you can catch us on the internet on all of the social media feeds that we share with our sister podcast, Did You Do Your Homework?, which releases on alternate Wednesdays from this one, uh, which I co-host with Marin's husband, Pete. Um, our next episode for that is a giant crossover episode that we're doing with the podcast of some friends of mine called Catching Up David. Um, and for more details about that, you should go and listen to the last episode of Did You Do Your Homework? Um, but anyway, the handle on all those social media feeds is at DYDYH podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Did You Do Your Homework? Uh, you can contact us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. 
Uh, and you can find me on social media on all at all the places at Magical Martha. Um, my Twitter feed has gone private, so if you would like to follow me there, just send me a request. As long as you are not obviously a robot, I will grant that for you. Uh, Marin, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at a underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet a lot about romance novels and rom-coms. Um, and also usually the state of Minnesota and maps. So if any of those topics are of interest to you, feel free to give me a follow. Um, I am sure that I am missing something in here that Pete will drop in in post. (laughs) Um, but until then, uh, this has been, uh, I was just about to launch into the ending of Did You Do Your Homework? Because I'm trapped. I'm trapped in a world where those are the only two intros and outros that I know. <laughs> we will catch you in a couple of weeks and just remember that we love ya. I'm so tired. <laughs> I was going to say, it is late. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I hope things, I hope things will go okay with you. I hope, I hope. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I and, don't know. Um, I, 